But we are in a foundations message series. Many of you know about it. Uh, we're actually creating a discipleship track here at Northwood Church, and Foundations is going to be a part of that. And so we're, 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 we're creating these messages. We're teaching them on Sunday morning. We're developing a book out of it and some, some curriculum that will work in our groups from semester to semester. And so we're excited about it. And uh, so I'll be talking about the church today, part one, because next week will be part two. What is the church? And I got a lot of information today, so just buckle in your seatbelt if you know what I'm talking about, and I'm just going to unload on you, all right? And uh, if you got some picture cameras, you can take some pictures of the screen. But I got a lot of information I'm going to read to you because it's, it, it's, it's paramount that we understand the church and what the church is and what the church stands for. And, and when you think about the church, here's what we're going to do. We're going to answer these questions today. Number one, when did the church begin? Number two, what does the word church actually mean? Number three, who is the church? And number four, what is the order of the church? Now, we've got a lot of content today, but this is not exhaustive, right? We've got, uh, got about 35 more minutes uh, to teach here, so we're going to get as much information we can to you. But people have many questions about a church, meaning, do I need a church? Uh, can I just listen to that pastor on my podcast on the way to work? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, maybe I'll just catch church online. Do, I mean, do I even have to come and gather as a church? And the church is facing a lot of criticism today. But by the way, it's faced a lot of criticism from the beginning of its inception but if you realize I need a church and I want to be under teaching, I want to be under sound teaching, I want to be a part of a local community, a lot of people have questions then about finding a church. Like, hey, do they have a kid's ministry, right? Uh, what about a women's ministry? Let me tell you what, how is the coffee? That, that's one of the most important things. And then I know some singles, they're like, is there a singles ministry? Because I'm single and I like to mingle, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> And people have all these questions. What's the style of music? Do they teach right? Is it contemporary music? Is it traditional? Is, is it relevant? Is there, is, there, is there exegetical teaching? Is it a place where I can meet people, right? Is it a place where I won't be asked to do too much? But there's something going around today, and it's called the Goldilocks Syndrome. All right, and it's the tendency of some individuals to continually search for that perfect church that meets all their preferences and desires rather than committing to a local church community and working through its imperfections and its challenges. How many of you are suffering from this syndrome today? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> it didn't sound very positive, did it? Hey, we can go in and out of this, but, 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 but today we're going to realize it's not about if it's just right or just everything just perfect. Because, by the way, you know why it will never be perfect? Because you're here. Because I'm here. Look, I'm not perfect. Pastor Mike is not perfect. But we, we sure do work on one another a lot. You know what I'm talking about? And encourage one another. And so when you think about the church, let's answer the first question. When did the church begin? Now, we're talking about the New Testament church, and it began around 33 A.D. at the day of Pentecost. Now, the day of Pentecost was actually 50 days uh, after the Passover. It was a Jewish festival that happens 50 days after the Passover. And Jesus actually he instructed his disciples 
uh, he said to wait into, in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost until the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and then you're going to carry out my mission. Now, Jesus had already ascended. He had already been crucified. He was resurrected, and, and he was empowering his, his disciples to, to propel the kingdom of God forward, the invisible kingdom that he talks so much about, because when he came on the scene, they thought that he was going to overthrow the Romans, but no, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. And so he was, they were waiting there, and on the day of, the, of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples and empowered them to such a great degree that there was a guy named Peter. He's an apostle in the, in, in the New Testament, and he came out on the day of Pentecost, and he began to preach to the crowds that were there, and many people repented. And we'll see this in Acts chapter 2, verse 40. It says, with many other words, he warned them. And he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. That's a great message. I don't know about you. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Sounds like church to me. How about you? That's a good day when 3,000 people came to know of the New Testament church. So here we have it. The church is born. The spirit lit the flame, right? And the gospel was preached and there was conversions right here at this time. And so, you know, when you think about the word church, we got to go back to where it's first mentioned in the Bible. And it was mentioned in Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus was actually asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? Some people say I'm this, some people say I'm that, but who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, and Jesus told Peter, man, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven did, talking about the revelation of the Christ that comes from the Spirit of God, which, by the way, you can have the most best teachers there is. I can, uh, you, can, you can listen to the greatest podcast, but unless the Spirit of God reveals Jesus to you and personalizes it to you, you won't have that type of revelation. Because a lot of people say a lot of things about Jesus. Same thing was happening at that time, and that's why we need a personal revelation of Jesus. And Peter did. He said, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And here's what Jesus said to Peter in verse 16, or verse 18 in chapter 16 of Matthew. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, the rock of the revelation that I'm the Christ, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So here we see the word church used at the first time in Matthew chapter 16, and Jesus said, it's my church, right? This is, this is God's church, right? This is my church. I'm going to build it, and the gates of hell will not prevail again. It, no attack's going to overthrow it. It doesn't matter what's happening in the land. It doesn't matter what the political structure looks like. It doesn't matter what you may think or what you may not think. I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So when we look at the, and that's, that's something we should be confident in, and that's something that we uh, solidifies us and causes us to stay rooted and grounded in the local church. Hey, it's okay. Look, you got to get, it's okay. The kids got to go out. That's all right. Give it up for this mama. 
Come on, everybody. It's all right. We love you. Hey, we got to bring kids in and out sometimes. I'm sure it was like that when Jesus was preaching, right? Might have been a little more hot. They probably were really crying then, you know. But when we look at this word church, obviously the, the New Testament, a lot of it's written in Greek. And so when you look at the, the world gathering or assembly of people, uh, in this context, it's the called out assembly. It's the called out ones. And this word is actually used 114 times. That's a lot. And so there's a lot of different ways to describe the word church or the called out ones or the, the gathering together of people. And so we're going to give you a couple different ways the word church is used. Number one, the word church is used for those who have put their faith in Jesus. This is talking about the global church. Everyone who's put their faith in Jesus is part of the capital C church all over the world. People are having church, right, the global church. And then it also means a certain gathering of Christians, a local church. And so you came to a local church today, but you worship God as the general church together in, in one place. We know that God's called us here to this community, Northwood Church. And then it's the building that Christians gather in, buildings or sacred spaces, if you would. Now, we know there's nothing special about this building, right? There's sheetrock, right? There's some lights. There's some AC. It's basic uh, materials. But what makes it special is it becomes sacred when we gather here and worship together. So it's not about the building. It's about what happens in the building. Look, I've been, I've been saved now for 23 years. And, and, and as a pastor, I'm just like you. When I come into this sacred space and I bring my baggage and I bring my fears and I bring my doubts and I come together with you to, to, to worship Christ, God does a special work in me in the gathering together that he doesn't do in me when I'm not gathered together. You know what I'm talking about. Now, God does stuff in me all the time just like he does you. We know God's everywhere. He works all the time, but something special happens. I don't know how many times God has spoken to me, imparted things in me, and convicted me, and, and showed me things right here in the gathering, sitting right here on this seat with you. And it's a sacred space when we do it, and uh, so never forget that. It's not about structures or buildings. However, we appreciate the structure, everybody. I mean, look, we're in South Mississippi. If you didn't have a building and it was real hot, you'd be sweating. And look, let me tell you about the gnats, everybody. I was talking to a lady here from the north. She's, leave, she's only here for a month. I know why you're only here for a month, because the gnats and mosquitoes come out. You're like, I'm going back home. Right? But it's the sacred space. And, and when we think about ecclesia, it, it, it's actually the root word for ecclesiology, which is the study of the church. It's, it's a biblical understanding of the church, ecclesiology is. And, and so let's look into some ecclesiology based on the Bible a little bit. Uh, so who is the church? Who is the church? The church is a spiritual community of believers. That's what the church is, a spiritual community of believers. Now, as much as we do, everybody. It's hard enough at your house, right? Come on. Some of you still working on your marriages, I know, right? I know, well, it's just me. I guess I am. I've only been married for 17 years, you know, and so I still got a lot of work to do. I was telling my wife on the way here, 
I said, man, you are too good for me. You know what I'm saying? I cannot believe God gave you to me because I've got a lot of work to do. I'm, I'm like, the, I'm, I'm just, man, I'm all messed up. But anyways, the church is made up of believers who've put their faith in Jesus Christ. And we know the church is not limited to a particular race or social class, but open to all who confess Jesus as Lord. He levels the playing ground, right? He invites all. He said, go into the highways and byways that my house might be full. He said, the will of God is that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. And so it's for all who confess Jesus as Lord. All people groups, all tribes, all tongues, all nations. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We are all put together. We're drinking from one spirit, the Holy Spirit, we're serving one God. There's one mediator between God and man. It's the man Christ Jesus. There's no other name given to men by which you can be saved, but by the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is God to the glory of the Father. And we're united around that faith. We're, we're united around the central theme of Jesus. We're a spiritual community of believers. But, but the Bible also describes us, as the, the church, as the household of God. The church is the household of God. It emphasizes family, right? Household emphasizes family between believers as children. So we're children of God. So since we're children of God, we're in the family of God, and we're in the household of God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 says, then you are no longer strangers and aliens, talking about being separated from the covenant of God. You are, you are one thing you've done, but God initiated it and God finished it. And, he, and he, by a miracle, he drew you out of darkness into his light. And so no, no longer are you alienated from his promises, but they're now yes and, a, and amen. So you're not strangers any longer to the covenants of God, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. The family is the greatest biblical illustration of the church, right? It's not a club, Right? It's not a social thing. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here just to, 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 to be a part of a social club. It's, not, it's a living, breathing. It's not an organization. It's an organism. It's a living, breathing organism where there's order, where there's teachers, where God does uh, 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 miracles, where God calls and equips, and, and then he sends out, where we help one another, where we gather together with one another, and we're going to hear a little bit more about that. But, but this is why we view one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. So you might go ahead and look to your left and to your right and say, I'm glad I'm part of this family. Get used to it, right? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Also, the church is referred to as God's spiritual temple. A spiritual temple uh, on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus being the chief cornerstone. 
He, 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 it's a holy habitation. It's a spiritual temple. We know that we are the church as well. We, uh, the, the, the called out ones, we, and now we, the spirit of God dwells in this temple. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we're gathering together to make a spiritual temple, a house of worship, if you would. Uh, listen to this scripture real quick. It says that uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we're a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And, and this imagery really emphasizes the holiness and the sanctity of the church, meaning a place set apart for worship and service to God. So we're being set apart individually for worship and service to God. We were created for worship. We were created to serve God. So we're being set apart individually, but we're being set apart collectively as an assembly, as a spiritual temple that, 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 that's holy and acceptable to God. And uh, it's a beautiful picture of what God has done. It really is. It's a beautiful picture. It represents and each person playing a vital role in the growth and the building of this spiritual temple. I'm here to tell you that you have a vital role to play. You have a vital role to play as an individual. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those in, who are in Christ, but you've been set free from the law of sin and death, meaning some of you feel like you don't have a vital role to play because you just have condemnation in your mind. Maybe you're thinking about your past, I don't know, maybe you're, maybe you're having issues as an individual and you don't feel like because of your issues you can play a vital role. I'm here to tell you you can play a vital role because Jesus says this. He said, look, if, 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 you're, if, if our sins were counted against us, no one could stand. It says if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. His name is Christ Jesus. So when sin abounds, grace abounds more to you. Is it a license to sin? No, but it's a license to fall back at the feet of Jesus and come to him boldly in time of need so that times of refreshing can come to your soul. So you can stand back up and say, I'm a vital part in the kingdom and God's going to still use me. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Got to keep fighting that fight of faith. You're going to have those times in your life. But, but you, you are a vital part of the church a spiritual temple. The Bible also says the church is the body of Christ. When you think about the body of Christ, you think about the human body, right, that has various parts, and every part has to function properly for it to operate optimally. God is, God is the designer of all things, and not only did he design the body, he designed the church, and, and he references it as the body of Christ Every part doing its part, working together. First Corinthians talks about it, chapter 12. It says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. 
would look kind of funny if we just had like a hand walking around, you know, or something. You know, we I gotta have a I gotta have a shoulder. I gotta have an elbow. I have. You know that that they say that one of the, one vital part of your body that people don't consider very vital a lot is your pinky toe. Boy, if I chop off your pinky toe today, you're gonna you're gonna your your balance is gonna be off. That's how important every single part of the body of Christ is. That unique role I was talking about, that unique function. And we know that Jesus is the head of the body, so we're, all, we're dependent upon him. I'm dependent upon Christ for direction and purpose today more than I was yesterday. You say, man, I thought you were a pastor. Yeah, well, I have to have direction and purpose. I, I need God to remind me, hey, you, you, you still got work to do. Anybody else like that? I'm like that. I'm kind of slow, maybe. I don't know. But the church is the body of Christ. Not only that, the church is the bride of Christ. Talking about various meanings and significance around who the church is and what the church is. The bride of Christ is like, it's a picture of an intimate relationship between Christ and his church. Uh, It's it's a picture of, of our purity and our devotion to him. Ephesians says this, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Verse 32, this mystery is profound, talking about marriage, but he's saying, I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church, the bride of Christ. The bride is pure and devoted to his groom, to her groom. Christ's love for the church is sacrificial, just as a husband's love for his wife should be sacrificial. As Christ gave up his life for the bride, so the church, us, gives up our life for him. We're going to read here in just a minute, but Paul the Apostle calls himself a prisoner for the Lord. That doesn't sound very positive, but it's very positive. There is no way that's better than the ways of the Lord. There's nothing else that can satisfy than you than fulfilling what God is calling you to do. Jesus said this to his disciples, talking about being satisfied. They said, Jesus, aren't you hungry? They they were doing a lot of work in the land. They they, they were building the bride of Christ, right? They were preaching the gospel. They went around and said, Jesus, I'm hungry. You getting hungry? Because I'm empty empty in here, meaning I need need to be satisfied. We know we got to eat. But here's what Jesus told his disciples. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Essentially, what he was saying is, my spiritual food, the things that satisfy me the most, is fulfilling God's calling. And I want to encourage you today, there is no better sacrifice that you can make than sacrificing your life for Christ. The church is the flock of God. That's what the Bible says. We're the flock of God. And when you think about the flock, you, you got to think about uh, care and protection. Just as a shepherd looks after his flock, just as a shepherd, shepherd keeps his flock in order, just as a shepherd uh, 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 keeps them going. Now, when you look at a flock of sheep, not, sometimes not all the sheep are going in the same direction. 
Yeah, it is. But the shepherd has this staff, and he hooks it right around the side of the neck. He doesn't choke him, but he just pulls him on back, and, and he's the shepherd. The psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters, and my cup overrunneth. We know that Jesus is the great shepherd, and we're the flock of God, and God gives us under shepherds, being pastors and teachers. The Bible says that some are called to be teachers and pastors and prophets and evangelists for the equipping of the saints, which is us, for the work of ministry, under shepherds to provide guidance and leadership that he gives So we know that Jesus is the great shepherd, but then he empowers under-shepherds. He calls them. He empowers them. He equips them. He gifts them. And they're a gift to the body of Christ. And it's an amazing thing. And that will never get old no matter what people say and what people do. 1 Peter chapter 5, this is a command to the under-shepherds. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. This, this is a command to us. This is a command to me. This is a command to Pastor Micah. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, but eagerly. I remember as a pastor not too long ago, I was just, man, in my mind, I was like, man, how much longer am I going to keep doing this, right? I've only been a pastor for 15 years, you know what I mean? Maybe we'll do the old 20, and it sounds good, right? 20 years, Lord, then I'll retire. (laughs) And I was reminded of the, the scripture, and this was just personal, and it was in a worship service just like this. And, and, and I was wrestling with this thing because I'm just a person, you know what I mean? I'm not here for ill-gotten gain, neither is Pastor Micah. If I wanted gain, I'd be out of here. I would have never quit my job. And so uh, the Lord spoke to me directly, the Lord, and the Lord was like, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. But Peter, Peter do, you, do, you really love me? do you really love me? And they went back and forth and... It was a deep type of love that Jesus was asking Peter, Peter, do you love me, love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you, feed my sheep. And then it was a worship service like this where God said, keep feeding my sheep. Shepherd the flock of God. And it doesn't always come easy, everybody. You know what I'm talking about. And just like, look, I'm nobody special, just like you. So let, let me sit my little place down there, just like you. It don't always come easy to continue in the ministry that God has called you to do. But do you love him? So, but the church is the flock of God, and being in the flock of God, there's protection, there's oversight, there's under shepherds, there's giftings and callings. Doesn't mean we're perfect by any means. But each one of these different terms that we talked about, it it gives a different perspective of the nature and the identity of the church. And we're talking about the church today, part one, right? What is the church? We see all these implications in the Bible and all this imagery and, and all these significant things that we're able to be a part of, you know? It's the greatest thing that you can ever be a part of, ever. There's nothing greater. There is nothing greater. 
There's nothing else that will satisfy. There's nothing. It's nothing. I don't know. I've tried. How about you? There's nothing else. And so when we think about the church, we got to realize that there's order in the church. And so what is the order of the church? So here we are. We described what the church is. We described what the word church means. We described who the church is. We gave some different identities of the church and some benefits, if you would, of being a part of the church. We see that Jesus established the church and he equipped people to lead the church. And so what does order look like in the church? Because where there's order, there's always peace. I don't like confusion. I don't know about you, but I like order. Nobody wants to be a part of anything confusing. A lot of people try to confuse things, but God always brings things back into order. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 13, this is the principle of order. It says, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Meaning, there's order, and where there's order, there's peace. Or in other words, there's shalom, there's peace. I want to be a place where there's peace. How many of you know that when you go home and your home is in order and your relationships are in order and there's peace in the house? I want peace. And there's not always peace in the house. And when there's not peace in the house, what do we have to do? We have to repent before God because the Holy Spirit's there if you're a follower of Christ to convict you and to show you where you are in the light of Christ. By the way, conviction is a beautiful picture. It says the Lord disciplines those he loves um, quite often. I'm just a shaky type of guy, you know what I mean? I'm just... I have to realize that that conviction is not condemnation. It's love for me. And knowing how much God loves me that he would actually convict me and, and, and show me my ways brings such gratification in my heart to, to, to even pour out more to him. And when there's conviction in the house, when we respond to that conviction, order comes. I want to encourage you today to respond to the conviction of God at your home, but in this house. God's not a God of disorder, but of peace. So let's talk about order in the house. Number one, submission to Christ. Submission to Christ. That's the greatest thing. The greatest thing that Pastor Micah can help me with is my continual submission to Christ. The greatest thing I can help him is his continual submission to Christ. No matter the temptation, no matter the struggle, we're to stir one another to good works and say, continue on. Stay pure. You can do it. Let's go. We're together in this thing. Submission to Christ brings order in the home and in the house, in the flock. Imagine if uh, every one of us collectively, our number one aim was submission to Christ every day, that we were reminded Every day, we were reminded to submit to Christ. You know, on the way here to church, I was thinking about my prayer life. And sometimes, I, you, know, you know, you forget what you want to pray about. You don't know what to pray about anymore. And you know you got a lot of things in your mind. you got a lot of things bombarding you. And, you know, obviously, I think about the Lord's Prayer often. 
And, and, and I was even thinking this morning that I was going to try something new and I was going to begin to uh, 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 list out all the prayers that are in the New Testament. I've done this before, but list all the prayers out there in the New Testament. List all the prayers that were out in the Old Testament and print them all out and begin to read them every day as a reminder to keep my mind where it needs to be, to submit to Christ. The psalmist said, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden it in my heart. I've worked with it. I've put my hands on it. The submission to Christ, who is the word made flesh, and we're going to get into the scripture, but submission to Christ and his authority in the church and his authority in our life. Ephesians chapter 1 says this, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is your mind if you start breaking that down. And he put all things under his feet, talking about Jesus, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ is the head, we're the church, and we are to submit to his authority in every area of our life, in every decision we make, period. How about that? A prisoner for the Lord. How many of you want to be prisoners for the Lord? Raise your hand if you, if you don't think so. Raise it anyway. Submission to Scripture. Submission to Christ. Submission to Scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. The scripture is breathed out for God. It has the power to transform. It's living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It leaves us naked before a living God, right? It goes past bone and marrow, and it judges the intentions of the heart. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God, because I can't judge my own intentions. We submit to scripture, as we talked about. Not only that, we submit to church leaders. This is a sticky one. I can submit to Christ, I can submit to Scripture, but that Pastor Micah, I I don't like his shoes. (laughs) He was wearing a ball cap last time I saw him at the prayer meeting. I don't know about that. You know what I'm talking about? Mm. Hebrews says this, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Got to give an account, man. That's why I'm like, how much longer? Let them do this with, the joy, with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And I know submission comes to, with trust, but first you trust the, the scriptures and realize that we're teaching and preaching and leading the best we can. I know we have a lot of quarterbacks that are armchaired. I know you might do things differently. So what? Look, as a pastor, I, I submit one to another with, with, with Pastor Micah. Pastor Micah's going to do things I wouldn't do, and I'm going to do things he wouldn't do. But together, we have to lay those things down and submit one to another, our pastoral team with our lead pastor, our senior pastor. We, we do that one to another. Is it easy? No. Is it painful sometimes? Yes. Do I always want to do it? No. Do I always have a good attitude doing it? No. 
Sometimes it's kicking and spitting. I'm talking, you know, like a little kid, like about what I would do or what he would do or my philosophical opinion on methodology and what this strategy is, this strategy, what I feel the Lord is saying. It's more about my sanctification process. The, big, the, big, the bigger picture is, is God working something in me that's greater than what I think, my opinion. That's why I want to honor Pastor Micah. Pastor Micah, how long have you been here? How long have we started Long Beach location now? Nine years. Nine years. And he's here today. And most pastors quit after five years. It's a sad statistic. So honor this pastor right here. Honor this pastor right here. Is he perfect? No. Are you perfect? No, but he's perfect. If you keep the end in mind, this will become easier. The moaning and the groaning, they did it to Moses. But if you knew your day of death, which nobody knows, I think the way you act would be differently. There would be this fear of the Lord, the healthy fear of the Lord, the reverence of him who's calling you and sanctifying you into his image. The greater thing is that you're formed into the image of Jesus, not your opinion. It's so powerful. Let me tell you something. You want power in your life? Understand this. Accountability and discipline. I'm almost done. Talking about order in the church. There's accountability and there's discipline that should happen in the church, which I hate. I, I, I don't like to correct anybody. I don't like to be corrected. I don't, I, but but, but when, when it's done out of love and I realize that the person doing it loves me, that's why you know, if we can model like Jesus, this becomes an easier thing, and we actually want more of it. Imagine that. Most people want to reject this, but, 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 but if it's done right, we should want more of it, right? Discipline should be handled with humility and gentleness, with the ultimate goal of restoring the person into a right relation with, with, with God and a right relationship within the community, Accountability is an essential aspect of the Christian community and involves holding each other to biblical standards of conduct. We were having a conversation uh, about community uh, a couple of weeks. He said, you know what? And I thought this was a profound statement. He said, I don't want to know what I would look like. I don't want to know who the person I would be outside of this group of accountability and discipline. Meaning this community I'm a part of, community of pastors, one to another, but a community. I don't, I don't know, I don't want, I don't, I don't want to know what I look like outside. Of, I'll tell you what you look like because I've been out there. No good. Left to yourself, no good. Deception will fall in. It's a trap. We need accountability and we need discipline. Galatians chapter six says this: Brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself as well, lest you too be tempted with the same sin. It's a trap, believe it or not. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
Leaders and mature believers should bring accountability and discipline in our lives. We should welcome it. Last point, unity and diversity. Man, we are a diverse people. But when we unify around Christ with the diversity of who we are and the diversity of gifts, something beautiful happens in a local church. It's precious. It's a place that you would want to protect with your life. Paul said this, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. This is all the things we need to keep going in here, everybody. Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body, there's one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one strive, all who is over all things and through all and in all. We should strive for unity in the church. 1999, I watched my dad, 1998, 99, I watched my dad get baptized. Building number two, Gulfport location. No, 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 no other church was built at the time. We're in wooden pews. One year later, I gave my life to Christ. Saw their marriage reconciled through the power of community. Mr. Ken Timms led that group. Two years later, I joined the leadership team in 2003. It was the greatest thing that ever happened to my family. It was the greatest thing I ever experienced. God had called me. I knew it from the beginning when I gave my life to Christ in the year 2000. I started leading my first group, probably 2003. I got in the group, and there was a guy who began to speak against my pastor. I was naive. I never heard anything like that before. I was still wet behind the ears, fresh off the streets, so I, I, I threatened him really bad. I said, you'll never do that again. But really, more than that, what was in me was a deep gratitude and a deep conviction that God did a miracle. I was praying for people every day to, to come to Christ and to be a part of the community, lost family members, and I didn't want anything to contaminate that. And that's how we should be. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? Lord, we're grateful for your presence right now, God, and your power. God, we want to work, walk in a a way that's worthy of your calling, the called out once the church, that we would be reflectors of you for your glory and our good, Lord. There's some of you right now who are not part of that kingdom, the invisible kingdom called the church, and I'm going to pray a quick prayer. And if that's you, just say, that's me. Say, Father in heaven, I repent. I want to be a part of your church, your called out ones. Lord, I give you my life. I thank you for dying for me. I'm yours, in Jesus' name, amen.